frocks and coats and corsets, oh my. Time to take a look into the art of Doctor Who cosplay. It's May 15th on This Week in Time Travel. Hello, everybody. I'm Chip. I'm Alyssa. And together we're Doctor Who fans. And that was probably the dorkiest intro that you've ever done for this podcast ever. Um, well, truth in advertising. <laughs> I guess. I am the dorkiest. There is no question of that. We've established this, yes. We've also established in the intro that we're going to be talking about uh, different parts of fandom culture in the next few weeks, including this week, cosplay, uh, with a very special guest. But first off, some quick news. We have some Doctor Who books that are on the way, and we're really excited because these books are coming out in October with the 13th Doctor. Yes, and a lot of the writers are going to be women. So let's dig into what these are going to be. Uh, we're going to have a new 13th Doctor story by Naomi Alderman, which is going to be added to a previous collection of Doctor Who stories to become a new collection titled 13 Doctors, 13 Stories. We are also going to have three 13th Doctor novels that are coming out in October. Juno Dawson's novel, The Good Doctor, will feature the 13th Doctor and her new companions. We will have The Molten Heart by Una McCormick and Combat Magics by Steve Cole. And for those of you keeping track, that's three women and one man. The the title, Combat Magics, with a K, that's M-A-G-I-C-K-S. That intrigues me. <laughs> I'm just excited for the covers because I am one of those suckers that very much does judge a book by its cover. And these covers are so pretty, you guys. They're so pretty. Like, I want first edition hardcover prominently featured on my bookshelf versions of these books. Like, I'm very excited. Uh, I am one of those who's increasingly eschewing physical media, so I'm sure they will look pretty good on the screen of my tablet, but um, I'm just... Sucks to be you. Oh, 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 <laughs> I'm feeling judged here. Yes. Repeatedly today. I'm, I'm in a mood, guys. I'm in a mood. I can tell this is great. Well, <laughs> speaking of great, who knew that we came so close to having such a great legendary thespian as the ninth doctor in place of Christopher Eccleston. I am, of course, speaking of the one, the only, the previously appearing in Doctor Who media, Hugh Grant? Yes, and don't hate on him because it's kind of delightful. But here's the really fun thing about this. There are now two competing stories out about why we didn't get Hugh Grant as the ninth doctor because Russell T. Davies said that the offer didn't even get through his agent. Like Hugh Grant never even heard about it, didn't get it. But a Hugh Grant a few years ago said, I was offered the role of the doctor a few years back and was highly flattered. The danger with those things is that it's only when you see it on screen that you think, damn, that was good. Why did I say no? But then knowing me, I'd probably make a mess of it. Uh, so, you know, maybe he was offered it and maybe he did turn it down. So drama, guys. I'm here for the drama. I'm just a messy bench. I'm just saying that anybody other than Christopher Eccleston would have been a mistake, mistake, mistake. I'm just saying. Oh, I agree with that. I can get on board with that. I mean, we have managed to make it through 13 doctors so far without a pompadour. Although 
Pertwee comes close. We have been pompadour-free in the Doctor Who world. Bap Smith is 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 almost there. Like, that's definitely a name that his hair has been called. Uh, you know, I never could look past the chin. Uh, he did <laughs> have that kind of a hair thing. Anyway, Digital Spy and iNews, you know, sort of rediscovered the Hugh Grant story. And Russell T. Davis chimed in this week, adding the agent story into the mix. But can you imagine him actually having taken the role? Oh, God, no. I don't think it would have worked. I think Christopher Eccleston brings a lot of that seriousness to it. And, like, I haven't seen Hugh Grant in a lot of, like, deeply serious brooding roles before. So, I mean, maybe he could have done it. But I I only know him from a lot of really light stuff. So it's kind of amusing to me to, like, think of Hugh Grant putting on this, like, somber, angry look and doing Christopher Eccleston in, like, Dalek or something like that. So I'm, la- I'm glad we got Eccleston. But, hey, no Hugh Grant hate here. This is a Hugh Grant safe space. <laughs> well, you do have to look forward to uh, Russell T. Davis's current uh, TV project that does star Hugh Grant, so Russell finally got his person. Hey, let's talk about cosplay, and to do that, we're going to bring in our special guest. And we're here now with Amanda Ray Prescott, our dear friend and cosplayer extraordinaire of many different characters. Hello, Amanda. Hi! Hi, Chip and Alyssa. Uh, how how are you all today? We're doing excellent. How are you doing? Good! Uh, I've been mostly making things right now because Doctor Who is on hiatus. Uh, my other shows are on hiatus, so this is what I this is the time I use to make stuff in preparation for future events. I, that's part of what you call me, Cosplay Extraordinaire, because trust me, there are a lot of people out there with a lot of talent as well. So, <laughs> yeah, because there's some people I'm just like, you make me look like a hack with your re- recent Instagram post. Um, I have seen your cosplays in person, though, and I can vouch for just how truly extraordinary they are. Mm. Thank you. One of my favorite moments at a recent convention was sitting in the audience and looking at a panel, and there is an Amanda, and there is a Ty Gooden, and there is an Alyssa Frankie, and you all three were cosplaying as Bill Potts. <laughs> we I- I kind of did it on purpose. I've actually listened to borrowed my jacket because I'm... Yes, thank I'm, you for that. <laughs> I, no, no, no problem. I mean, with Doctor Who cosplay, I sit there on eBay and all their fashion websites. And I look at what the BBC's put out and I try to match either exactly the style they picked up off the rack or something similar. I think compared to other fandoms where their instincts are a little bit different, like with Doctor Who companions and the modern doctors they're using off the rack fashion and you have to look at a costume in a different way versus sewing or constructing it yourself or even just using you know stuff in the thrift store because it may not you may not see at the thrift store what's on trend for this season the bill potts jackets like 2017 and 2018 like bomber jackets were everywhere so that's what they're pulling off the racks People kind of attach a false kind of snobbery to, oh, I can make it look exactly like it is on the screen. But here's the thing about that. There are cases where you never know what you're seeing on the screen because they make alterations. Um, The Mm -hmm. BBC photoshops out logos like there is the term screen accurate is a little bit of a fallacy. It's like you can never be completely screen accurate unless you physically clone Jenna Coleman. (laughs) <laughs> like, I think initially the term came out of um, out of the prop making community. Yeah, 
So a huge part of cosplay is like is what you're talking about of like trying to replicate things from the screen, but then also trying to make it work for who you are, who your body is, like everything like that. So for you, sort of why what what's the artistry behind that of not just finding stuff and making it screen accurate, but also going beyond that either just to alter it to fit yourself um, or fit what's more comfortable for you versus like even going further and doing cross ups and mashups and like totally reinventing what you see on the screen. I haven't done any mashups yet. And the main reason why is simply because I have an idea. Then 50 seconds later, I have another idea. Then <laughs> shove it to the side. And then, like, I never actually sit down and complete a mashup. For me, I mean, the artistry for me is sort of making things work mostly for my um, my comfort level and also just my body type. Because although I am about a US 10, and but the problem is I'm a little bit curvier than the, than a lot of the brands they use. So sometimes the stuff that I can find that would fit me doesn't quite fit me properly, especially on the bottom half of my body. So I'm like, mm, it's not fitting that skirt's not going to fit or that pant is going to fit. Let me see what I can modify in that way. Or there are cases where it's like, oh, okay, I can't even find what the original is. So let me trawl eBay, trawl the mall, see what I can find. Like right now, Bill's, she has, she, there's one of the episodes where she's wearing overalls and a shirt the shirt sold out ages ago, and it's also some ridiculous Celine or some brand that's like, why are you selling a shirt for $150? I'm like, oh, no. God. I'm like, yeah. okay, that same $150 can buy me six yards of fabric, which is more helpful to me. <laughs> right. So like, I'm, right now I'm pricing out like two shirts to then cut up and seam together to create that effect, plus the overalls in that are about the same style in my size. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. For Bill. So we're talking about a lot of different like fandom artistry kind of topics over the next couple of days. We're going to be going over fan fiction. We're going to be talking about fan vids. What drew you specifically to wanting to try out cosplay? Now we have to go all the way back to when I first started Doctor Who Cosplay, which is 2010. You know, I was reading fanfic. I was, you know, looking at some of the, you know, fan vids out there and gifts and that sort of thing. I didn't those skill sets weren't something I had at the time. I mean, I've always been into fashion even before I stepped into fandom. Like, I always just, you know, I just loved following what trends were. And, you know, even though I didn't always have a lot of money to do this, but, like, I loved window shopping and malls. And I realized, wait a second, cosplay is a way to turn my interest in fashion into something I could do myself. At that point, I did not know how to sew, but I knew that looking at the Doctor Who costumes, I didn't need to know how to sew because the modern companions were all wearing clothes from this century, for the most part. And I could look like the companions I like with just my knowledge on fashion and shopping and with not that much effort. I mean, well... In a way, cosplay is still effort, but like at, at that point, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I could just throw some things together and create a costume out of it. I mean, my artistry for like matching, you know, patterns and that came later on because a lot of times you don't really learn the stuff until you just physically do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for in 2010, I wanted to dress up for New York Comic Con, and I was like, okay, I could make I chose Martha because Martha just has her red jacket. She has the boot cut jeans and then her boots and that's it. And the, and the tank top underneath. And that's pretty simple 
beginner outfit. So I grabbed something. I grabbed a $40 jacket at the thrift store. I found her similar jeans. And I just reused a pair of boots I had in my closet. And I was like, I'm ready to go. So I got to the con. We got to meet up. And people recognized these Martha instantly. Because I also had my hair, you know, with this pineapple spike in it. So people loved it. I mean, it wasn't exact compared to what I have now for Martha conventions. But it was that was sort of a spark. And from Martha, I was like, okay, cool. Who else can I, can I be? At that time, 2010, we're kind of now become beginning the, the Amy era. So people, there were a lot of people working on Dr. Cosway. So we were all sharing info. There were groups on Live Journal, Rest in Peace, um, and <laughs> elsewhere. Twitter people were working on Amy, Amy Pond Cosway. Some people found the real pieces. Other people were like, hey, I put this together. I made, remade this. Like, so a lot of us were sharing info at the same time. It did turn into some kind of, you know, rivalries over, I got this thing, you didn't. But, like, at the same time, though, like, those discussions and seeing how people turn these outfits into their own, it helped me. And in turn, like, I was able to help all the people, I think. So if you're brand new and you really just want to get started with cosplay, where's a good entry point? How would you recommend that somebody get started doing it? For the doc- for Doctor Who people, go on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and pick your favorite social media channel. Type in Doctor Who cosplay. See what pops up. Because there are whole, on Facebook, there's like about five or six groups for Doctor Who cosplay alone. I can't remember how many there are. A lot. There are people who, and there are also blogs and who focus on this stuff and tell you, hey, this is how I did it. Because whatever your idea is, my suggestion is basically to researching what people have done before for that same character is so much easier now because everybody's posting what they found and what they did out in the open. It's like, for example, just Googling 13th Doctor cosplay is going to pop up tons of people say, hey, this is what I did. Essentially what we call a breakdown. It's like, hey, this is how I constructed the outfit. But for a newbie, I would suggest there are three key things to remember. How much time you have before your event. Two, how much money you're willing to spend because every outfit expenses creep up very slowly. And the third thing is to not worry about perfection because there is no such thing as perfection. As long as your entire outfit doesn't fall apart at the seams, it's okay. If you mm-hmm. miss details, like people are not probably not going to see it. And most likely, as long as people can look at you and be like, hey, that's the character, you've already done your job. Overall, what have you found the cosplay community to be like? Have you found it that cosplayers are respectful of one another? Have you found that it's an inclusive, welcoming space for everybody and particularly newbies? I will say, I'll be honest. A couple of years ago, there were definitely a lot of clicky rivalry things going on. Um, I managed to kind of stay on the outside of that just because a lot of that drama was a lot of like friends, relationships who went sour. Uh-huh. down south but also too there was a sort of this weird trend of people wanting to be exactly like karen gillen and at the point at this point was the amy i kind of came in really more when the amy pond trend started happening um i think the reason why i managed to avoid some of that drama was just because i'm not white so i'm already out of the running for i'm way out of the running for 
for I'm also I'm all I'm not white and I'm also on the short side so I, there's no way I can look like Karen Gillan anyway so <laughs> that whole rivalry of I want to be the perfect Amy like I kind of managed to stay outside of that because I was like well you know what I'm just gonna do my own thing I like I like these outfits of hers let me see what I can what I can replicate with my budget and I kind of managed to stay outside of that but I think in recent years the trend now because those people have learned their lesson and or have you know depending on the person left the fandom now there's i think more of a renewed effort to be inclusive to bring new new people new people are definitely coming in especially with the 13s a lot of there's a ton of new whovians in those groups now like who are interested in 13 like people who are now coming into the fandom just because of the 13 doctor being a woman that's definitely gonna open up doors for inclusivity and and also to there's a whole side of cosplay fan i haven't talked about and that's the classic who side i think on the classic who side of course it's a little bit harder to get in just because you may need some you may need advanced sewing skills for some of those costumes right because a lot of it is replicating vintage design the guys outfits are often you have to make that stuff yourself so it is a little bit of a higher entry point but um they're pretty inclusive as well it's just of course people are more intimidated by getting its classic first just because it's more expensive and more you have to have a little bit more experience in terms of sewing sometimes well i started cosplaying with just you know items that i could buy online via amazon or ebay uh, when i was just starting out and then uh last couple years i've had a uh homemade joe grant cosplay to be wearing around and people have just been just as lovely from the beginning of my cosplay experience uh up to my more advanced stages now so for Everyone who's listening, I hope this conversation has inspired you to get started in cosplay, uh, to look for a few new costumes to try out. Uh, keep an eye out on the internet. Keep an eye out at your local conventions and uh, find these fun communities to hang out in. So, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to talk about your cosplay. No problem. Um, and if any readers do want to reach out to me saying like, hey, I want, I mean, sorry, not readers, I'm so used to writing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any of your listeners do want to reach out to me online to find, uh, to like, hey, like, hey, I have an idea. I don't know how to do it. You know, I'm available. Um, my Twitter handle is probably the easiest if you're not a friend of mine on Facebook. At Amanda R. Prescott is uh, is my Twitter account. When you when you type it in on Twitter, you'll see the Mel's already cold dark, and that's me because that's my other bandwagon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my other bandwagon uh, that I actively run. Um, so yeah, I'm also on Instagram. I am at Amanda Poldark. Of course, how? Yep, that's you're on brand. <laughs> I'm very on brand because I also love period dramas. So yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> It was great hearing from Amanda and finding out a little bit more about Cosplay World. I have cosplayed before, but I'm a little weird. I'm the guy who wandered around Gallifrey 1 in a Babylon 5 costume once. So off-brand. Seriously off-brand. So I didn't... He doesn't even go here. (laughs) There is a lovely, lovely picture of me on Facebook of me in front of a TARDIS in a Babylon 5 costume and there's Darth Vader strangling me. So I'm just mashing it all up to pieces. But you are much more serious in your cosplay purity, I think. 
I mean, I'm not even as serious as Amanda is. I started off with a Donna Noble cosplay that I sourced entirely from eBay and Amazon. I had an 11th Doctor cosplay for a little while that I would not like to revisit because it was not my favorite cosplay. <laughs> and I have a couple of current ones going. I have a Femme Third Doctor, of which I am very proud, and I'm. it's very lovely for fall conventions because it's a nice warm cosplay, and I'm just always the comfortable one on cold convention floors. And I have a 12th Doctor one and a Joe Grant one, and I'm now building a 13th Doctor one. Oh, God, I'm more serious than I realize. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So why do you do it? It's fun. I love walking around in a uh, wonderful outfit, um, having fun with other fans. It's one of the great things that comes together that you can admire each other's artistry and you can also appreciate the same eras together. Um, there's a cosplayer at Gallifrey One who always dresses as the master and he looks astonishingly like Roger Delgado. Like the first time I saw him, I had to do a double take because it was incredible incredibly, incredibly good. Um, and he and I together uh, accidentally weirded out Katie Manning because uh, we were both standing together in these incredible screen accurate costumes. And he looked a lot more like Roger Delgado than I look like Katie Manning. But like we were standing together just chatting and she literally just stopped dead in the middle of the hallway and stared at us and was just Oh my God, look at you two. <laughs> so moments like that are kind of fun, you know, where you're just having fun wearing this outfit of a character that you love and you can run into people dressed up as corollary characters and have some fun with them. And sometimes you freak out Katie Manning on the convention floor and that's always worth it. There's a bit of a role playing thing that I've always had a uh more of an interest in cosplaying than an actual desire to follow through. And a good friend of mine, a very excellent Doctor Who and otherwise costumer, Stephanie Strauss, made for me a very screen-accurate uh, Babylon 5 Earth Force uniform. And when I put it on, I feel like I'm in that universe. You know? It's playing dress-up. It is. For adults. It is. Uh, and also for kids, because playing with the kids when you're all in cosplay together is really kind of the best moment. When the kids come up to you and their eyes light up and they're just like, you're the person. It's the best feeling. And being in a convention space and seeing so many people doing it is just delightful. I have two favorite cosplay photos that I've taken before. One of them is you in the Third Doctor cosplay, uh, just absolutely beaming. Uh, you are right at <laughs> home in that costume. The other one was my favorite mashup of ever. I, I took a selfie with Groot of Cheem at the last oh, galley. Oh, that was so good. Uh, if you, that was so good. And that was That's a reference to the very second episode of New Doctor Who, The End of the World, uh, Jabe and the Forest of Cheem. So somebody mashed up the Jabe-style costume with a very, very remarkable uh, Groot costume. And it was just perfect. And I was one of the few people who got it. <laughs> always, it's always fun when you find an obscure one or a mashup and you get it. For the first time, I'm actually tempted to cosplay as a doctor. Or should I say crossplay? Um, do it, do it, do it, do it, do really, it, do it. It's really tempting because I have always had a hung, hang up and most people do not have this hang up. But I have not felt 
up to cosplaying as one of the doctors before because I don't favor any of them. Um, I don't I don't resemble any of them to my satisfaction anyway. As Amanda said in uh, your talk with her regarding uh, Karen Gillan, you know, at some points the goal of close resemblance is just off the table and then the game becomes interpretation. So I'm very I'm very interested actually in coming up with a stereotypically male variant of the 13th Doctor costume. So many people have done magnificent femme cosplays of the previous 12 Doctors. I haven't seen a femme cosplay of the War Doctor, but I'm sure that's out there. But I'm kind of curious about that, about what it would be like to have a masculine version of the 13th Doctor costume. So check us out at Galley next year because I'm totally making Chip do this now. This is what happens when you speculate out loud and in public. Somebody holds you to it. Yep. So that's our look at cosplay. We'll return to Worlds of Fandom in the next week's episode of This Week in Time Travel. You can find us at thisweekintimetravel.com or on Twitter at drwhothisweek. I am on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord, and Alyssa is on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. And as she said before, Amanda is on Twitter at Amanda R. Prescott. This podcast also exists on Facebook. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. This Week in Time Travel is part of The Incomparable, a network of podcasts full of smart, funny people who love talking about TV, movies, books, comics, games, sports, and every other aspect of popular culture. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>